No, well, I really do love it. I mean, I yeah. love all the education that Fresh Till Soil is putting out. I think okay. it's so important because yeah. how I become better at what I do is learning as much as I can and getting as much experience as I can in a variety of different challenges, right? And yeah. knowing how to apply certain things to certain needs. And so I think it's it's awesome what you guys are doing with the, yeah. in the product space. So. I'm a fitness enthusiast with particular interest in cycling, running, and swimming. And over the years, I've lost track of exactly how many models of GPS-enabled watches I've owned from the popular Garmin Forerunner series. No lie, I've got one on my wrist right now. So I was particularly enthused by the opportunity to have a conversation with one of the engineers responsible for inventing the Forerunner product line, Claudette Stevenson. Claudette spent 16 years at Garmin International, where she held various roles in product engineering. She was actually co-inventor on the less than eight patents that were the foundation for the successful Garmin GPS enterprise. Now the senior director of product development at Training Peaks, Claudette and I talked about a range of topics, including how she got started in the fitness tech industry, her time at Garmin, and what she's up to now in her still very new role at Training Peaks. Claudette has a wealth of experience, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Describe to me your background and your journey into product. You know, you started, it looks like, with a physics background in the software engineering and now product management development. Tell me sort of how you went through that path to get where you are today. When I ask people, what got you here? And there's critical things even way back when you're young that kind of start shaping your path. For me, a couple of things that really I remember of kind of shaping me into what I think were critical decisions in my own career path was I was in a, this invention contest when I was like in fifth grade and I created this like lawnmower out of a coffee can, a fan and a, like a crutch. And I just remember the experience of creating something new and like getting an award for like creating something new. And it obviously stuck really deep into my, into my mind as being, you know, something really positive. And then I think it was seventh grade, my computer science teacher really instilled in me that like I belonged with computer science and he was a really difficult teacher. And I remember I got a top student award. And for a female, 13 years old, it was really critical to be like, you belong in this space and I believe in you. So I would say, you know, thank you, Mr. Price. And probably thank you, Nintendo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> giving me this love and desire for the computer science space for, you know, creating new things with computers. So when I started out, my physics professor was actually Cliff Pimble, who is the CEO and president of Garmin's physics professor. So he's like, I have an internship project. Uh, so a senior, would you mind having her come on and like do a senior project for Garmin? And that was where I started was they hired me right away into software engineering. And it was a very fun space because there was no competition. We were brand new to everything. And it was this culture of creativity and 
you know, no timelines, just keep thinking and, and innovating and developing new things that have never been done before. And so that was really obviously um, critical and influential into my career of just thinking creatively, just thinking, you know, about how we design something brand new and how to bring it to market when it had never been done before. And then I naturally started realizing my colleagues were really good at what, and like, we can build all these things and do all these things. And I was really good at asking why. The path you took is similar to a lot of paths, including my own. And as much as you were doing product management with either without the formal title or before you even really knew that's what you were doing. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that common theme. There's the curiosity part of it. Always asking why, you know, I was asked to become a company's first product manager simply because I was a pain in the butt. Like, you know, you keep asking why we're doing this. Why why don't you go figure out why we're doing it and if it's the right thing to be doing. And then there's that link to the customer, you know, always thinking or attempting to think with their set of eyes and and their brain uh, about whether or not we're doing the right thing. So I, I can't, I've yet to come across answers that don't include at least one, if not all three of those components to it. So I think we're on to something, but um, so you mentioned you were a runner or would you call yourself uh, at the time, a fitness enthusiast, or just Garmin was it happened because of the connection with the with the physics professor? So I was competitive. I was sprinter in college. Okay. And so, but you know, I never had run endurance sports. So I got the fact of you know what we're trying to accomplish, you know, and and what people really wanted. But it was really simple. I mean, they were just amazed by having distance on something and they didn't have to like know landmarks anymore <laughs> to yeah. know how far they've ran. And so that, um, that was, you know, the first part of it. But then, you know, once I realized, Hey, there's multi-sport people doing that. I got to go do a multi-sport, you know, sprint in order to really put myself in there. And so that's what I did. You know, I need to go get on the bike and, and learn how to do this and, and build product and build features that really fit that mold. And so, I did what I needed to do to, to learn. I was one of two software engineers that created the first Forerunner fitness product. That was the first GPS product out there. So, yes, it was... That, um, don't tell me, uh, the, the 310? <laughs> it was 201 and 101. So there was oh, okay. a team of five of us total that, you know, if you talk about the industrial design, the electrical engineer, two software engineers were all kind of a part of this and mechanical, you know, engineer, all a part of this team that created that first device. So That must have been an exciting thing, an exciting time to live through. I, I was in a similar situation in a company that made mobile apps for physicians at a time when mobile meant a Palm Pilot or a Trio pre-converged device, pre-cellular. We didn't even know what was possible until the advent of the true mobile phone. I'm sure you guys, it opened up such a a treasure trove of of potential product innovation when GPS on 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 the wrist became a real possibility. It just took off. That must have been really exciting for the business. It was very exciting. I mean, it really came down to how 
how big did it have to be? How small did it have to be really to get on the wrist that someone would wear it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was still quite big yeah. when we uh, first came out, but it was good enough to get a GPS signal yeah. uh, that someone could run with it. In, in, in a way, it, it sort of crystallized for you probably what or what features your customers really wanted, right? If I'm willing to wear what in hindsight was a pretty big thing on my risk, <laughs> I must really want the ability to track statistics without landmarks. That's right. We call it the toaster. It was yeah. a toaster, but it was a badge. You know, that was something I didn't realize is That's that it true. became a badge of like honor for people that actually had them. Like yeah. I have this thing and that makes me into this exclusive club. And that was something, you know, that we didn't really realize would happen once we put it out there. But you're right. Like what was the minimum that they would really tolerate as far yeah. as you know, some people would say no one would ever run that with that unless it was like as small as, as a wristwatch, but it wasn't true. Yeah. yeah. You're willing to wear it because of the value it provided. All these roles that you've had in your career, do you have a favorite one, whether it's engineering, product, all the same, or, you know, you've kind of, you've, you've, you've vacillated between them. Which one do you think is your favorite, your sweet spot? My biggest strength is playing the middle. I, I think it's uh, an important role because things often had been done, at least in my experience and continuous experience in silos. And we're talking about the evolution of how product and design is continuing to evolve. And really there's this sense of like alignment that has to happen across the whole product development every stakeholder in it, you know, on the same vision, thinking the same way in order to execute things faster and getting instant feedback from customers to, to have really high confidence in what you're building. And for me, I've always sat well kind of in that orchestrating the different disciplines to be with that same vision, to be executing, to removing any kind of obstacles or challenges in that path. And so I would say, you know, my favorite job is the one I'm doing right now because I'm able to actually really execute on that fully and help grow the team and to get, you know, more aligned, even faster decision-making, more knowledge up front, you know, to make the best decisions for, for the product. Well, I might argue you've kind of just described the role of the product manager. It is um, true. It's the same title thing. is product development. So I, so I, I gather you're, engineering focused but I'm over both product and engineering okay well that explains it so I mean I, I look at the product manager one could argue that the product manager doesn't make anything they're more of the quarterback the coordinator the facilitator the connector that gets all these other departments who are actually creators designers testers together working toward the end goal of serving the customer with this if it's a product organization or a service organization, what have you. That's um, exactly right. And so, you know, managing the resources is just the same way, except, you know, doing the management side as well. So I've always been strategically influencing um, and then starting to be more officially managing. And, and really, it's, it's the same thing. As you said, you know, doing this right is really the same kind of skill set that's needed to empower people to do what they do really well and execute it on it as a team. And now you find yourself at Training Peaks. So tell me a little bit about what Training Peaks does and for whom. 
At the heart of Training Peaks, we really care about helping people achieve their goals, you know, getting the best at what they want to do in endurance sports. It's always been the heart of the company. The company started uh, with coaches and how coaches can better effectively coach athletes. And that still is the mentality of how do you train the best way possible to get you to your goal? And how do you know what that goal should be based on all the technology and the information we have now to, to get there? So bringing that expert instruction to people like you, customers who, who need it. <laughs> yeah. And so the customers can be anyone that really is at least dedicated enough to do an event and want to do the best they can. Not someone just trying to complete it probably, but someone that's actually really wanting to train the best way they can to get to the goal that they're trying to accomplish. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be responsible for a product that has these different user bases. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, the coach, the athlete have different needs, but they're trying to go towards the athlete's goal which is what I kind of first stated is we want people to achieve success. And that is our success. Coaches success is also enabling the athlete to succeed in the best way possible with their expert knowledge. Athletes often don't want to know all the ins and outs of the data. There's a lot of science that can be used and more and more sensors coming out on how to best effectively use them to understand what a lot of coaches kind of knew before, but even more tailored now in the best way to train someone um, based on their physiology, their strengths to get to whatever goal they're trying to accomplish. And so having these two different users, we're still identifying, you know, where do these align? Where do these not align with both of these needs? How do we address them to give each of them a seamless experience from my perspective, as one of your customers, I think we're a pretty picky, demanding bunch. But customer expectations really for any technology are, are at an all-time high. I think it's particularly so with athletes because, again, they tend to be type A personalities. Uh, they are on tight schedules often with training regimens, and they don't want to miss anything. In your experience, how, if at all, has this changed the role of product development in your space, you know, balancing the, the, cut, the competitive pressures of the market with the needs of your customers. Do you think the expectations have really ramped that up? And if so, how do you, how do you manage that? Greatest success of a product manager is to see something you put out and people just adore it and buy it and want more of it. And there's no competition. There's no expectation what you what you put out was just dead on and um, it continues to grow. Fast forward, lots of competition, lots of expectation and the bar gets higher and higher and less time to think about it and, and to execute on it. And so I think really product is really evolving more and more to how do you get the best information quickly and how you make decisions on not only what we're doing, but what we're not doing 
in order to be able to really focus on what matters and execute the smallest chunk of that and keep iterating on it in order to keep delighting customers and keeping them satisfied with what they're trying to achieve and understanding customers at such a level that you really have that high confidence of what you're building is going to matter. And I think, you know, just having all the time and energy in the world to having very short amount of time and energy and resources to get to where you need to, to do is just refining, you know, what product has to do in a very short amount of time now and orchestrate it very quickly in order to do a really good job at what you're doing and utilizing your time and energy the best way. Yeah, it sounds like you're describing in some ways uh, prioritization mm-hmm. is one of the bigger challenges. And we certainly hear that as a common theme. What is it that keeps you up at night at Training Peaks? What's your biggest challenge right now? Um, we're fortunate enough to be at a place where we're really growing. And so for me, managing that growth, hiring the right people for where we are right now that can take us to the next stage of the company is what's really critical and important and keeps me up at night because not everyone fits that mold, thinks that way for where we are. I would say from a product standpoint, from a design standpoint, we're in the emerging space where we're an emerging company and we're starting to be more sophisticated in these disciplines. And so again, um, being able to think about that and think about where the future needs to be in order to start working towards that is, is what I think about a lot. What's the most exciting thing in your space right now? I mean, there's obviously more and more connected connectivity with devices, which is pretty interesting. I think about how technology and data can help people really tailor their strengths and weaknesses and understanding that at an individual level, not as a group level, um, in order to do what's right for them to get in better shape and to accomplish what they need to accomplish. And I think you know, everyone's different. And I remember the first time someone saying, oh, I don't have to run hard every time I go run. Like that was such a light bulb for that person that like, no, actually you don't want to be doing that. That's not a good way to train, you know? And that I think, again, there's a lot of people that don't have that knowledge of trying to do what someone else told them to do. And getting a training plan and just being like, oh, this must fit everyone, you know? And yeah, that gets you somewhere. But I think how data can be used to really help that person train individually, I think is really cool. I suppose there would be a path for products and companies like Training Peaks to eventually remove coaches. But that's obviously a a potentially loaded question because, you know, they're part of your, they are, as we mentioned earlier, one of your users and part of your customers. And that may not be a goal. It may be an unintended consequence, I suppose. Yeah, I do think that we're, we're talking about that in a lot of fields, right? Like how much automation can just replace the human person yeah. and actor. There's a lot that a human gives and accountability and, and sometimes being a therapist, you yeah. know, are some of the things that 
with that expert instruction that how close or how much can technology replace that? I think is a big question. I think that that to me doesn't sound like anytime real soon. Coaches provide a lot of benefits to people and it's not just around the training. A lot of times it's, I'm going to go buy a new bike. What, what should I buy? And, and I mean, and I'm going through a really rough patch with all of this. How do I, you know, it's so, it's so much broader of a discipline. I think that we can help even coaches get smarter and they can get smarter <laughs> and we can help the people that don't know anything get smarter. So I think there's a wide range here that we can work with before that becomes even a reality. And then we'll see. I guess the positive way of saying is that you're allowing them to do their job even better. Uh, not removing the need for them. So that's correct. Back to the general topic of, of product management. How has it changed since you got started? You know, you've been in this game for, we mentioned, you know, 12, 15 years at Garmin and now Training Peaks. How would you say it's changed in your career? I think going back to what you said at the very beginning, like those core elements that a product manager needs to do hasn't changed. I think there's more data and more information. Um, there can be complexities with teams. There can be complexities with how they become more influential in the decision-making process within a company. Most digital companies now acknowledge that product management is needed. Not all of them know how to really use them, at least in my experience. And so I think we still have some challenge, again, of building credibility within the product discipline and really strategically influencing the people around, people up, why these are the right decisions and that evidence-based decision-making. Like, this is not an opinion. And I always give the analogy that the product manager is the lawyer for the customer. Mm -hmm. And so as the product manager is like, no, here's the evidence (laughs) that we have. And here's why we need to make this decision. You can't forget that the jury members are often, you know, the engineering team and the people around you that like first have to really understand that you really do have that expertise, that you really are the one that's bringing it forward and really have empathy for not just the customer, but the people you're actually presenting that information to, including, you know, the peers around you and the leadership above you we've all made failures in our careers what's what's a a product management failure that you or your team has made in the past and how did you overcome it i think for me some of the the worst failures have been to think about a feature or solution as being agile when it really was time bound and not um, leading it in that way. So there's a really big difference if you're going to be iterating versus like really having a time-bound feature that has to go out at a certain time and how that is from really early on, how can that be executed on and what can you really remove? And if that happens way later on and then you're trying to do it at the very end, at least in my experience, was a big learning a very painful learning. So here's where I would interject. Kudos to Garmin, but it was more of a product failure. I haven't seen it that often, but there was one version of the Forerunner with the bezel <laughs> that just didn't. Like I said, I owned I owned every one of them. I think 
And that one just, it was a very, very cool idea. Just <laughs> didn't work in as soon as you introduce yeah. sweat. Yeah. And to their credit, uh, they killed it quickly, right? It was, to my knowledge, there was one and only one version that used that particular feature. And so kudos to the product team, the company. I don't know where the decision was made, but clearly someone was listening and, and saw that this just, it, it made it through QA, but in, <laughs> but in the wild, it just didn't fly. And well, so, I think that was, yeah, the people involved knew the problems. I think that's a hard, you know, for a company to kill a product. It is once yeah. they like, invested in it. There's others that I could tell you about that. I'm so glad did get killed pleading, please kill this. Yeah. <laughs> like, please, please. And finally getting, you know, some things actually killed that um, I think was a success. That one, I think, again, learning how to do research and design separate yeah. than a product development cycle. They need separate spaces. There's real new cool technology, but like it really has to be vetted out on its own. That's not on a, on a time bound schedule for getting something out the door. And yeah, that's a good well, if you're, I think if you're, you're truly a customer focused company, you're not going to, you know, money sunk cost aside, you're not going to hesitate. And I think your customers are going to recognize that and see that as a positive that, Hey, they were willing to kill this off because it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and it's I, hard when there's a majority or minority, I should say that want, yeah. you know, are dead set with it, you know, yeah. and you have to make this decision that like, you can't do all things for all people. I guess right. when you talk about product, in my experience, it used to be try to do all things for all people. <laughs> right. Like now it's like, no, we got to really be focused on these people. And, and then Yes, there are definitely some people that will benefit from that. And there are some people that will not and won't like it. And yeah. we're still going to make this decision because it's the right one. You can meet all of our product heroes at freshtilledsoil.com forward slash blog and clicking learn more about our series at the top of the page. Do you know a product hero that we should meet? Are you a product hero? Drop us a line at marketing at freshtilledsoil.com or hit us up on Twitter at freshtilledsoil.com.